Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. If you'll go there, last time we were on in our, uh, the life of Christ, we saw Jesus cross the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and uh, calm the storm. Now we pick up chapter 5 verse 1 and we learn that Jesus has come to the other side of the sea. Remember, this other side of the sea is the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The western shore of the Sea of Galilee is the land of Israel. The eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee is going to be far more Gentile or non-believing people. When you go into Mark's gospel, you're going to find in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus loves not just religious people, Jesus loves all the people of the world. And in Mark chapter 5, he's going to demonstrate his amazing power in three really incredible stories. And we're going to pick up the first one this morning. So let's read Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse number 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he, that's the demon, answered, said, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding near, uh, there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place of the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened unto him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him. Jesus to depart from their region. And when he got to the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Amen. This is God's word. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the man no man could tame. The man no man could tame. On the morning of October 21st, 1966, a landslide of coal waste 
crashed into a small Welsh mining village, killing 116 children and 28 adults. The landslide sent 140,000 cubic yards of coal waste, like a tidal wave, 40 feet off the ground, down the mountain, and destroyed the county secondary school. Only five kids in the entire school survived this avalanche. Years before the incident, the town's council was warned that these deposits of coal-free spoil tips could potentially be dangerous to the city, but to no avail. The mountain was unable to stop and sustain the spoil tips, the mountains of coal waste, and ultimately, through a rainstorm, that coal waste was released onto this particular town. The man that we study in the Bible today is not much different than that city. Here's a man that for years had lived with an unclean spirit. He had lived in an unusual home, a cemetery. He had done some unusual things. His life was completely encompassed about and filled with sin. His life completely estranged from God. No chance, no hope, no plan of survival, no spiritual life, totally lost. That is until the day he met Jesus Christ. And in this story, we see this man represented in all of us. The fact of the matter is, every single person in the world is completely lost and hopeless without the Lord Jesus Christ. If there were no Jesus, there were no hope. But in Christ, just like this man, you can find the hope that only Christ can offer. So let's notice, first of all, in our text, a man who struggled with sin. When I thought about how to word the first statement I was going to make from this text, it was almost difficult to word. How do you word what this guy was going through? It almost sounds like a struggle with sin is an understatement. And maybe it is, I don't know. It was the very best way I could find to try to illustrate what this guy was doing. The struggle with him was real. It is a captivating story. It is a dangerous story. By the way, the struggle with sin is real for all people, including people who know Christ as Savior. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 says, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I do not find. For the good that I will do I do not. But the evil that I will not, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not do, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Think about this for just a minute. Here is a man that was without God, totally captivated by sin. Totally, his life had been wrecked by the evil one. He was someone's son. He was maybe someone's brother. He may have been someone's husband or dad. He was somebody loved, no doubt, this young man. Somebody missed this young man. This young man was on somebody's prayer list. This was a bad situation. And maybe you find yourself knowing somebody a little bit like that. The truth of the matter is today, this guy was overtaken and he needed help. And I see in this text at least three things that he struggled with. The first thing that I see he struggled with was darkness. 
The Bible tells us in chapter 5, verse 2, there met a man immediately out of, him, out of the tombs with an unclean spirit, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could buy him. Verse 5, and always night and day. He was overtaken by a demon. His life was controlled by someone or someone else. In fact, we learn in the text this man actually was possessed by at least 2,000 demons that enter into 2,000 pigs in the middle of the story. He had no way to get away from this. He could not help himself. Others could not help himself. There was no limit to the time that he got involved with the sin. It was all day and all night. A man that was absolutely in darkness. I think darkness and lostness is one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of what it means to be without Jesus Christ. John 1.5 says that the light shined in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. John 3, verse 19, this is the condemnation that light came into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just think about this for a moment. Again, look at verse, uh, verse number 5 again. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. I think it's very obvious to say this guy had an infatuation with darkness. And that's not very uncommon today. Uh, you see this guy's story repeated in high schools and colleges all across America right now. You thought that cutting was a modern-day phenomenon with people today because of certain uh, psychological or mental health issues. Friend, there were people that cut in the Bible. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. The Baal worshipers in 1 Kings chapter number 18 were crying out on their altar. What were they doing? They were cutting themselves and spilling their blood. Here, this man was cutting himself. You say, why was he cutting himself? Well, oftentimes, if you'll talk to people who do things like self-harm or self-mutilation, it's because they're attempting to give a physical expression of the pain that they're actually experiencing inside their heart. This guy's life was filled with darkness. And friend, I'm here to tell you, it does not matter how dark it might be for you, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. There is hope in Christ. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to wonder that way. You don't have to be aimless. You don't have to be lost. Here's a man that was filled with darkness. Secondly, he was filled with death. Oh my goodness. Now this is a very unusual scene to say the least. Where did this dude pitch his tent? Where was he hanging out at? Where was he uh, living at? It says in verse number uh, three that he had his dwelling among the tombs. You know, I think it was fitting how the song we learned today, uh, Lord, I'm at home with you, Psalm 84 that we sang for the first time today, talks about how that he is our dwelling place. That if you're, if you're in Christ, you always have him. He's all, you're always at home because he's with you. But think about the sad place of this guy. Where did he live? Where was his dwelling place? Where was his home? Answer, in a cemetery, and I gotta tell you, there's a lot of creepy things in people's lives. There's a lot of creepy things in the Bible, even, but I gotta tell you, this may be very well one of the most creepy things I've ever seen. If you like cemeteries, that's pretty weird, but if you live in a cemetery, that is absolutely weird. Now, to be fair, there's a couple cemeteries that I actually enjoy going to. I know that's odd, uh, but I've been to the Princeton Cemetery probably 10 times. I love it. It's just a cool, historical place. But I got to tell you, I've never been there at night. 
and I've never spent the night there for sure. Now, I've seen some awesome headstones, and there's some American history and spiritual history that I enjoy going with pastor friends and so on and so forth. But let's just be honest about it. Isn't it sad when somebody is comfortable with death? Do you know that one of the most prominent ways that people's lives are ending today, particularly young people, is suicide, infatuation with death, infatuation with a life that isn't worth living. Oftentimes people, when they commit suicide or they're infatuated with death, they'll say things like, uh, life living the way I'm living is not worth it, so I'm just going to end it. And I want to tell you that statement's half true. If you're living your life in a way that's not worth it, uh, something needs to change. But what needs to change is not to end your life. It is to give your life to the one who can give you eternal life. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death is the condition of everybody that does not know Christ. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Isaiah 59, verse 2, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins, if it is faced from you, that he will not hear you. Friend, listen, you may not be infatuated with death here. You may not uh, think that's a cool thing to do, but I want to tell you, if you are not a believer in this room, right now you are experiencing spiritual death. One day you will experience physical death, and then ultimately, outside of Christ, you will experience eternal death. The Bible fast-forwards us in the book of Revelation to chapter 20 and tells us what the future of everybody without Christ is. The Bible says, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the book according to their works. And death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into a lake of fire. Friend, listen, I'm here to tell you today, death is where people without Christ live and death is where people without Christ end up. But notice this, he was defeated. He was defeated. Verse number four, it tells us this, that he, because he had often, or let's back into verse three, no, no one could bind him, not even with chains. He had often been bound with shackles and chains. Nobody could bind this guy. Nobody could help this guy. They had failed. Watch this. He had always found a way to break his restraints and go back to his demonically influenced ways. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody here that's listening to me preach either live or on the camera this morning? Does that maybe sound like you? Is there anybody in the room you have tried and tried and tried and tried to break off of what you're involved in but you just simply can't do it? It seems like everything you try, you fail in. Every time you try to get a win, you end up getting a loss? Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in the room tired of shackles and chains? Tired of somebody binding you? Tired of bondage? Tired of the struggle? Tired of the defeat? It is a painful and miserable way to live. Screaming in agony. Cutting himself. Let me tell you something, friend. You don't have to live that way. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, there is a brand new life to be had. This guy struggled with sin until, number two, he met a Savior who delivers from sin. These verses, verses 6 through 16, show us what Satan does with a life in contrast to what Christ does with a life. And I got to tell you, the Bible very plainly says in John chapter 10, verses 10 through 11, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. I'm here to tell you that there is a way to live your life abundantly. There is a way to live your life in freedom. There's a way to live your life in forgiveness. And there's also a way... To live your life in absolute shackles, chains, in bondage, and misery. In our text before us, verses 6 through 16, we see a Savior who came specifically for this man and then rescued this man. Hey, listen, in Mark chapter 4, he calmed a wild sea. And in Mark chapter 5, he calmed a wild man. This is what Christ can do. The same power that stopped the storm is the same power that rescued the man in Mark chapter number 5. This man had Jesus in his scopes. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 verse 32, let's go over to the other side. He knew the storm was coming, right? Do you not think when he docked up his ship and tied the ropes on the dock, do you not think he knew that immediately in verse 6, a man was going to come out to meet him who lived in the tombs? Friend, I'm here to tell you that I think without a doubt that this mission to cross the Sea of Galilee was a rescue mission. And it was going to be more than the maniac at Gadara. It was going to be the woman with the issue of blood that we'll learn about next week. It was going to be the man's daughter that died that we'll learn about the week after that. But I am here to tell you right here and right now that Jesus went intentionally across that sea so that he could meet this man. I am telling you, there is no sea that he will not cross. There is no mountain that he will not climb. There is no valley that he will not descend into. There is no act he will not accomplish for you because he He loves you. He came and he rescued the man. This man gets rescued when the first thing he does, I love this, verse number six, when he saw Jesus, he ran after, from afar, he ran and worshiped him. In Luke's gospel, Luke chapter six, verse 28, the same story told a different way. Jesus, excuse me, the Bible says, seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what business do you have with, 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 with us, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. I love this. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him. That's where it all starts. You want to know where your transformation will start? It'll be the day when you recognize who Jesus is and you recognize your need and you fall down on your face before him and you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You say, I'll never bow to some man or some Jesus. Listen, friend, you'll either bow to him in this life or you'll bow to him at the end of life when you stand before the judgment seat. Listen very carefully. All should bow before King Jesus because King Jesus is worthy. He rescued him through his deliverance. Verses 8 through 14 describe Jesus Christ delivering this man from demons. 
He addresses them directly. Verse 8, he said, come out of the man. He commanded them. He spoke to them. (coughs) He commanded them. He asked them a question. What is your name? They answered, this is our name. They begged him that he would not send them out of the country. Interesting. Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him and said, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once... Jesus gave them permission. You want to mark that little phrase down in your Bible if you're taking notes, and that is this. Jesus gave them permission. Absolutely, these men controlled that man, but these men had no control over Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad today to know that, yes, the devil is real, and yes, his demons are real, but they have no power or authority over the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Christ has great power power and authority over all people including the devil himself John chapter 4 verse 4 ye are of God little children and have overcame them why greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world never forget that friend whatever you're up against whatever you're battling whatever's going wrong Christ is greater than whatever is trying to overtake you in Revelation chapter 20 it gives us a picture of the ultimate defeat of the devil When the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 verse 2, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him up for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. The devil who, uh, verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into a lake of fire. I don't know about y'all. I can't wait for that to happen. Oh, the old devil's tried to wreck everything that you and I love. Hasn't he come after your family? Hasn't he come after your marriage? Hasn't he come after your children? Hasn't he come after your mind? Hasn't he come after you? Oh, listen, friend. One day, King Jesus is going to grab the old devil by the tail and sling him into hell where he came from forever. That's the victory that we have in Christ. And never forget, until that day, he's still in control. And he will win. And you don't have to let the devil kick your butt all the time. Because Christ is the champion of the universe. There was Jesus. This man on his worst day, there was Jesus. I was privileged to go to a concert Friday night. And uh, it was awesome. Just tremendous music and went with some friends. And in this, in this concert, there was an MC that was walking us through the whole concert. His uh, name is Mark. Mark used to be a, a singer in a, a band back in the 90s, I think. And uh, he since had lost his, his singing voice and through a bunch of circumstances ended up becoming uh, the leader of a nonprofit organization which rescues orphans from Haiti. Of course, I was immediately interested uh, with the work that we've done there. He has adopted two children from, uh, from Haiti himself, a little boy named Journey. I think these kids are now teenagers. His daughter's name's Cristela. And in, in the course of this presentation, he is showing some of the dramatic stories that took place there in Haiti. One story, which was totally captivating, was a story about a 15-year-old girl in Haiti who was pregnant, nine months pregnant, and she was with child greatly, and she was going to deliver the child in Haiti In these kind of circumstances, you know that oftentimes having a child means this child's going to be impoverished, this child has no hope, 
Uh, and oftentimes, these kids are literally discarded, literally discarded. This girl starts having contractions. She is She's all by herself. She's 14 years old. She goes into what they call in Haiti a latrine, which is a bathroom, not much of one. But it's a, a basic cinder block outhouse with a 20-foot hole underneath of it and a little concrete toilet. And this little girl sat on that toilet and gave birth to this baby and cut the umbilical cord and walked over to that hole and dropped this little baby in that hole. Thankfully, another little boy was around. He saw this entire thing take place. He runs over by a soldier, police officer, and tells him what happened. These men immediately go on a rescue mission. They lower this officer down into this toilet, into a sewer where a baby was left to die, and they showed it. They had a camera. Somebody captured it on a phone, and they showed them bringing that rope back up, and this, this officer had found the baby still alive, wrapped the baby up in a, in a, in a blanket or a, a bag of some kind, and it looked like maybe a, 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 a pillowcase, and they, they brought the baby back up, and then they, they untie the baby and open it up, and there she was, a brand new baby, and, and, and only a way some show could do it. The next thing you see on the stage is that same girl walk out from behind the stage who happens to be this guy's adopted daughter named Chris. That was her. And you know why they named her Crystalla? Because the name means Christ was there. Was he ever there? Was he there at the sewer, at the death scene, at what would have turned, come on, what would have turned a sewer into a cemetery? Come on, was he not there? Oh, he was there. He was there. He rescued her, and now her name bears it forever. Oh, friend, I don't know if you're catching what I'm stepping in right now, but that was me, and that was you. It was our sewer. It was our cemetery. It was our death plot, and just about the time I was going down forever, there was Jesus, and he showed up. And he rescued me. Then you see this story even get better. The Bible says that these demons go and they, they get into these pigs and they run off the cliff. It's just kind of crazy, really. <coughs> the Bible says that when all this happens, the, the men who are watching over these pigs start begging Jesus to leave. Like, this is crazy. Well, and it's almost understandable because they don't know what's going on. All they know is, I'm going to lose my head because I just lost all my owner's pigs. Right? 2,000 of them. So they go running into town to tell everybody what happened. And the Bible says that they, he, excuse me, they, they pled with him, verse, verse uh, 18. So he, he decides to leave. He gets in the boat. And when he had been, uh, and, and he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. But, however, Jesus did not permit him. Isn't that interesting? Did you see earlier in the text, the demons asked a question and Jesus permitted them. But now this guy asked a question and Jesus said no. 
You want to know why? Number three, there was a call to share the good news. It's understandable, isn't it? This guy wanted to be with Jesus. Wouldn't you? (laughs) Don't you? This guy has just been rescued. In fact, when he's, he's, he's running around, crying in the middle of the night, and the Bible tells us that he is sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Jesus totally transformed this guy. Verse 15, he was sitting, his actions changed. He was clothed, his appearance changed. He was in his right mind, his attitude changed. Let me tell you something, friend. When Jesus gets a hold of you, he will change every bit of you. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm looking at John. He's shaking his head yes back here. I remember. I just saw. I, I have the picture of my favorites of the day you got baptized, friend. I show it to everybody. I love it. I love what God does in people's lives. I love when they hear about Jesus transforming somebody and they're sitting there going, yep, that's right, preacher. That's right, because that's what he does. And furthermore, it's understandable why he would say, hey, man, wherever you're going, I want to go too. That's what he does. Lord, can I just go with you? This this is awesome. But Jesus turns around and says to him, no. In fact, this is what he actually says. Go home. Go home and tell your friends what great things God has done for you. Can you imagine the first door he showed up at? Can you imagine the first high school buddy that he ran into back in Gadarene? Can you imagine what they said? Like, whoa. And he said, yeah, let me tell you about my Jesus. And by the way, I think there's a good reason why he told him this. If you back up, the Bible says in verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, sitting close to the right mind. And, verse, and they were afraid. And, and those who saw it told him how it, or those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they begged him to leave. You know, you know what's sad about these people? It's just like our culture today. They were more concerned about the pigs than they were about the man's life who had been changed. It's like people more concerned about saving a whale than saving a baby. Just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yet, people do it all the time, not to maybe that extreme, but they put their careers in front of God. They make an idol of everything else. They worship everything else but Jesus. There's a good reason why Christ said, stay. I've got a job for you to do. And guys, listen, is there any, has there, has it ever occurred to you why you're still here? Every single Christian ought to take a very serious look at that question. Why are you still here? When we talk, some people, when we talk to them about the gospel, and I do it all the time too. Hey, if you died today, are you certain that you'd go to heaven? I heard a story of one guy was trying to witness to his daughter, and and, uh, she was afraid to get saved because she thought she was going to go to heaven that day. (laughs) Sometimes it's funny how we talk to people. Sure, I want people to go to heaven, absolutely. But let me ask you a question. If when you got saved, why did you not go to heaven immediately? That would have been easier. You want to know what the answer is, at least part of the answer? 
It's because God wants you to go back home. And God wants you to tell other people the great things God has done for you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go. Go home. I look around the room today and I see so many connections, so many people that knew people that lived by people and, and invited people. The network is amazing. And I, I, look, I've been doing this a long time. I've, I, we, we've, me and other people like Aaron that have been here a long time, we've knocked on almost every door in this whole community over the course of a series of years that we've been here. But you want to know the, the real work that happens? You want to know when people really come and really get saved? You want to know how God begins to transform people through a church? It happens all the time. It's when one person who's met Jesus goes and finds another person who has not yet met Jesus and brings that person to Jesus. It's not clergy work. It's Christian work. And we have this opportunity right in front of us two weeks from right now. I hope you're already praying. I hope you've already secured some invites. I secured three this week. I'm excited. I hope you have. I hope you will. You say, does that mean everybody has to or we're not good Christians? Of course it doesn't mean that. Are you kidding me? But this is what it does mean. It means you've got an opportunity right here, right now, to go home, tell a friend what God's done for you, and invite him to lunch two weeks from day so that so that they'll hear me stand up with the word of God and over just about 15 or 20 minutes just simply explain to people what they can do to know for sure that they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. To me, that would be worth any $8 I could spend to get somebody to church just to invite them, just so that they hear that message and then I could talk to them after the service. My burden is that we will take that to heart and that we'll consider the opportunity that's right in front of us now, this is a call that's for all of us all the time, but we do have an opportunity right in front of us. And let's pray about that.